Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Following up on a story we told you about yesterday, two years after Governor Gavin Newsom mandated it, the state's powerful air board yesterday approved a plan requiring 100% of new vehicle sales in California beginning in 2035 be of zero emission cars and trucks. KQED's climate editor Kevin Stark reports. Air regulators have been hashing out the details of how to get there over the past two years. The state's targets will ramp up over the next decade. Electric vehicles are about a sixth of new sales in California right now. EV sales will need to double by 2026 and double again by the end of the decade. The state's top air regulator, Leanne Randolph, said the regulations are on car makers. This is a legally binding enforceable requirement. Most of the automakers who have set their targets have a lot of caveats about, well, if this happens or that happens. This is an actual legally enforceable requirement. Ford, GM, and many other car makers say they support California, but encourage the state to build out car charging infrastructure and incentives. Environmental justice groups wanted to see a stronger commitment to getting electric cars into communities with less money and lots of air pollution. Roman Partida Lopez is legal counsel for Oakland's Greenlining Institute. We wanted to see if we can get as close to mandatory, right, to really ensure participation in these equity provisions. And we didn't get that. Partida Lopez acknowledged that the climate change benefits will be significant. The state estimates it will cut carbon emissions from cars and trucks in half by 2024. For the California Report, I'm Kevin Stark. According to the United Nations, solitary confinement beyond 15 days can amount to torture and should be banned. But as KQED's Farida Javala Romero reports, it's happening right here in California. This morning, Farida tells us about one man, not a prisoner, who says he was locked in a cell by himself for more than a month. Whatever you call it, segregation, isolation, secure housing unit, it looks like what Mohammed Musa says his life has been like. He spoke with me from a cell where he said he was being kept alone for 22 hours or longer per day. The room was so tiny, he didn't have space to do a proper push-up on the floor without his legs straddling the toilet. He was depressed and anxious. This right here? shouldn't be happening. This is what I think about all day. This way is an American. Musa is an immigrant from Egypt detained at the Mesa Verde Ice Processing Center in Bakersfield while he fights deportation. In late June, he signed a letter supporting a labor strike by detainees in his dormitory. The strikers are calling for California's minimum wage. Instead of the $1 a day, they've been paid to clean bathrooms. The next day, Guards moved Musa to segregation, according to documents by the private prison company that runs Mesa Verde. 
the GEO Group. About a week after, staffers found him guilty of participating in a demonstration and disrupting the operation of the facility. He was ordered to stay in solitary. It's retaliation. It's cruel. It's punishment. U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement says its facilities must carefully consider alternatives to segregation, which should only occur when necessary. But between 2015 and 2019, ICE recorded more than 13,000 segregation placements that lasted two weeks or longer, or that involved vulnerable detainees such as on a hunger strike or with mental illness. And the agency's own watchdog says ICE is not fully ensuring its more than 200 facilities around the country are following the rules, like when two detainees in California were held in segregation for more than 300 days. So it's highly likely that individuals' rights are being violated by being placed into these extremely punitive settings. Assistant sociology professor Caitlin Patler at UC Davis has analyzed thousands of solitary confinement cases in ICE detention centers. She worries there's not better federal oversight at facilities like Mesa Verde, even though President Biden campaigned on ending solitary confinement. This administration has the opportunity to do better by abandoning the use of this system as possible. And if it's not going to do that, at very least, initiating much much more oversight into the system so that at very least ICE's own standards are being followed by ICE itself. Three detainees I spoke with, including Musa, say they were held in punishing solitary confinement in retaliation for joining the labor strike. Musa tried to appeal his segregation, but on July 15th, staffers denied it, writing, quote, You consistently have attempted to disrupt the orderly running of the facility, and it will not be tolerated. They want to break me. They want me to stop advocating. They want me to stop standing up for my rights, for our rights. And I'm already in hell. A GEO spokesman vehemently denies the men's allegations of retaliation. He also denies there's even a labor strike at Mesa Verde and referred other questions to ICE. An ICE spokesperson says the agency will not comment on disciplinary actions for individual detainees. But ICE has pledged to follow through with its watchdog agency's recommended changes to ensure its facilities are in compliance with ICE's own standards for segregation. In the meantime, California lawmakers are expected to vote on a bill any day now that would restrict the practice of solitary confinement within the state's borders, including for immigrant detainees. As for Musa, Mesa Verde staffers moved him out of solitary confinement just yesterday, his attorney says. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala Romero. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too 
at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. In what's believed to be a first in this country, the Orange County city of Anaheim has formally recognized part of the city as an Arab American cultural district. The California Report's Keith Mizuguchi has the details. In a nearly unanimous vote this week, the Anaheim City Council has designated an area of Brookhurst Street as Little Arabia, a name that many locals have already used for years. The Arab American community has been pushing for this designation since the early 2000s. Rashad Al-Dabag, founder of the Arab American Civic Council, says this will help uplift and honor the community. I'm an immigrant who used to commute to Anaheim because Little Arabia was home away from home for me before I moved to Anaheim. I'm attached to this place. Little Arabia is where I found community. It's where I work, where I shop, dine, hang out with friends. And in fact, it's where I met my uh, wife six years ago. Council members also voted to conduct a study of the Brookhurst Corridor to explore the potential boundaries of the designation and what needs to be done to improve the area. For The California Report, I'm Keith Mizuguchi. Think college athletics and likely football, basketball, and volleyball come to mind. But Cal Poly San Luis Obispo on the Central Coast is home to one of the most successful collegiate rodeo programs in the country. It holds 45 national titles. KCBX reporter Gabriela Fernandez went to find out what it takes to be an award-winning rider on the program. It's still dawn, but Cal Poly Slow's rodeo stadium is already buzzing. The team is practicing roping. The aroma of manure fills the air as rows of stadium seats encase a crisp dirt floor. I have been riding horses since I was way, way little. That's Grace Lee Speth, a grad student at Cal Poly. She has fond memories of her early days in the sport. I think my dad had me in one of those, you know, baby packs when I was about 18 months old on a horse. She grew up on a ranch in Bozeman, Montana, so this sport is deeply meaningful to her and her family. I mean, I grew up doing it. My heart is in agriculture and in horses. There's nothing better than having a horse as a companion. Her specialty for the Cal Poly team is breakaway roping. She says there's a whole history to it. Back in the old days and even today, ranchers rope their cattle and tie their legs together. Originally, it was meant to provide medical attention to the animals. Now, at rodeos, the technique is timed, and the goal is to rope in the cattle quickly, all while riding your horse. The dedication that these student athletes show is pretty amazing. Ben Londo is Cal Poly's rodeo coach. He's been with the team for almost a decade. Cal Poly's always been known for having a really strong team, especially a women's team. And this year, the team made it to nationals yet again. They competed in a variety of events, including breakaway roping, goat tying, and barrel racing. The competition took place in Casper, Wyoming this summer. Other colleges from California's Central Coast, including Cuesta College and Allen Hancock College, also competed to make it to nationals this year. The team did absolutely amazing. Our women's team ended up third in the nation. It was a tight race. The girls did an outstanding job. But not everyone feels positively about the sport. 
Throughout the years, Cal Poly's rodeo team has faced protesters. Local animal rights activists say they see the sport as inhumane and violent. Some places in California have banned rodeo. In a statement from Cal Poly Slow, a university spokesperson wrote that their rodeo program follows the guidelines from the Professional Cowboys Association when it comes to the welfare of livestock. The association's website lists dozens of rules and regulations ensuring the proper care and treatment of the animals. Grace Lee says protesters don't understand the sport. We love these animals so much that we would never hurt them. She says they have a team chant, they say, at the beginning of each practice. It's called the trail, and one of those lines in the trail is, we are Cal Poly Mustangs and we respect and care for each other and our animals. Speth graduated this year from Cal Poly with a master's degree in agriculture. This summer, in her final year writing for the school, she placed sixth in the nation for breakaway roping. For the California Report, I'm Gabriela Fernandez in San Luis Obispo. Rodeos and all, that's the California Report for Friday, August 26th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Danny Bringer, Brendan Willard, Chris Hoff, Jim Bennett, and Seal Muller. Our producers are Amanda Stupai and Keith Mizuguchi. Our senior editor is Angela Corral. Our interim director of news is Ki Sung. Our vice president of news is Ethan Tobin-Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great weekend. Support for the California Report comes from Silicon Valley Community Foundation. Supporting KQED reporting on early childhood policies and practices around the state. Learn more at siliconvalleycf.org. Stanford Healthcare, alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area. Now's the time to donate blood and make a difference. Stanfordbloodcenter.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute. Coming this fall, the launch of research vessel FALCOR-2, advancing the frontiers of ocean science and exploration, on the web at schmidtocean.org. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.